Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gold Creek, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger with this week's message from Story Point Church. Did you know that you're leaving a legacy? You are leaving a legacy. Whether you want to or not, you are leaving a legacy. And you're doing it with four different areas of your life. You are leaving a legacy by what you say. You're leaving a legacy by what you do. You're leaving a legacy by what you have. And you're leaving a legacy how you love. Those four things, I believe, encapsulate what makes up our legacy. Now, there's a difference between a legacy and a reputation. A reputation is what people think about you. And quite honestly, you can have a good reputation with a lot of people, with most people, but for some people, they're just not going to like you. And no matter what you do or what you say, you're just going to have a bad reputation. They got a bad taste in their mouth, and they're going to, whenever your name comes up at a table, they're just going to cringe, and they may, they may keep it to themselves, or they may try to share their opinion of your reputation. But reputation, although it's important, is not lasting. Because the reality is, once you die, the people that know you, you will become a memory. And so your reputation is not really what's most important in life. Yes, we should have a good reputation. We should try to build that in a a way that's God-honoring and Christ-honoring. But what you really should be concerned about is your legacy. Because the legacy that you leave is the fruit that is, that is carried on well after you and I are gone. And I'm talking about the legacy 100 years from now, 200 years from now, 300, maybe even longer. There was a guy by the name of Martin Luther who left a legacy, right? He nailed on this day, I believe it is, the 95 Theses on the church doors, and that sparked a, a reformation. We do what we do today, how we do it, because of the courage of him to do what he did. That is a legacy. It was an action, and it was also coupled with his words that caused a, a, a lot of things to go into motion, and now we have what we call um, uh, Protestantism, and that's a whole other history class there. But, but the point is, your legacy is being built whether you like it or not. It's either a good one or a bad one. So today I want to talk to you about the legacy that is built by action. So open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Now we're going to look at two, primarily two passages of Scripture. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, and then the book of James chapter 2. So these two passages of Scripture. Ephesians 2, James 2, but start with Ephesians. Your words come out of your heart, right? Last week we looked at this, that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what comes out of your mouth has simply been built within the factory of your heart. But your words, as powerful as they are, need some proof behind them. They need some evidence behind them. God knew this in, in the scripture in uh, Romans 5.8. The Bible says, but God demonstrated his love for us 
in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God put actions to his words. When you put actions to your words, what you are doing is you are proving that you're not just a, a, a windbag. You're not just empty promises, but you are more than speech. You are actually someone who believes it and, 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 and owns what you're saying. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, we find where the actions come from. Chapter 2, verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We, too, all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he has for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Together with Christ Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens so that in the coming ages he might display his immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from your works, so that none of, one, none of us can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Man, when I read that, I feel like, I feel like I've just jumped into a, a bottomless ocean because just the, 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 the words that are used there, they're not, they're not just, it's not, it's not just grace, it's immeasurable grace. It's not just mercy, mercy it's rich in mercy. When I look at this passage, I feel like I could just swim around in it for days and days and days and not fully grasp the nature of what God is saying, both the nature of what we're like without rescue from the gospel and what we're like with rescue from the gospel. Hey, let's turn the house lights on. Can we do that? I don't want anybody falling asleep, and I, and I want to see people's faces here. So, so we have this, this, this understanding of where the... Um, the works come from, right? The works come from God in us. And so they're not natural. The Bible says in, in verse 1 here that we are dead in trespasses and sins. And then, of course, it says, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. So to be dead in trespasses and sins means that we essentially are dead men walking. Even though we're walking, even though we're speaking, even though we're doing things, it's coming from a place of death. Why? Because sin and trespasses bring God's wrath. Now, what's a trespass? The best way I can explain this is that if you have a piece of property and you don't want somebody on it, you put up a sign that says, posted. No hunting, no trespassing. In other words, you're saying, this is my property, here is the line, you are not allowed across the line. I dealt with this in Colorado uh, a couple of weeks, uh, months ago when we were hunting up there because we were tracking one of, uh, uh, an animal that we shot and we got to a barbed wire fence 
And I know, because I, I know the, the public land that we're on, I knew that there was private property on the other side of this place. And when we got to the fence, my heart sunk. Why? Because in, a, in the state of Colorado, you are not allowed to cross a fence even if you're chasing an animal. It doesn't matter the circumstances. They own it. It doesn't matter how good your intentions are. It doesn't matter how, how gentle you'll be crossing the fence. The answer is you are absolutely unequivocally restricted from crossing into another man's property unless you have express written or verbal consent to do so. Downside of this place was I had no idea of how to find the owner. It was, it was owned by somebody who lived out of state, and so we literally had to just stand on the side and, and mourn the loss of, of the animal. But that brings to mind the picture of what we're talking about here. We are dead in our trespasses because we, by nature, have trespassed against God. We have crossed the line. We have stepped through the fence, and we are not, it doesn't matter our intentions. It doesn't matter how, how weak we are. The fact is, we have violated an indisputable, unmovable law of God, and we're guilty. And the punishment for trespassing in Colorado is very serious. Like you lose your license, you get a monstrous fine and up to a year in prison. I mean, they take that so seriously out west. God takes it more serious. The punishment for trespass, the punishment for sin, you say, well, what if it's just a little sin? Well, see, that's the thing. The Bible says that there is no valuation of sin. An offense against God is an offense against the whole law of God. So if all I ever did was lie one single time, I am guilty of offending the entire law of God. It literally is one strike and you're out. You say, well, how could God do that? How fair is that? Well, here's the thing. If sin is truly sin, if a violation is truly violation, do you really want to serve a God who who uh, just based on how he feels during the day gives maybe you a pass or somebody else another pass? Or do you want a God who is truly just? True justice can only come from someone who is truly just 100% of the time in every just situation. But see, this is the part about God that we don't fully grasp sometimes until we, until we meet him face to face in this way. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. In fact, we are children that are object of God's wrath. Not that he desires to pour out wrath, but literally the judgment that comes to sin is the just. It's the right thing to do, but God. Verse 4, but God. God. I love hearing my African-American brothers preach this, because they'll say something like this. When you have no hope and you're at your end of your rope, but God. When you're coming to a place where you have nothing left, but God. I mean, they have this, right? That's what we're talking about here, but God. When there is no other place to go, when you literally are on the cliff, when you, are, you, you recognize you're dead, you're hopeless, you're decimated, but God. God. And then the next part says this. Who is rich in mercy. But God who is filthy stinking rich in mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is when justice is not given to you. Mercy is when you stand before the judge and the judge says, You've trespassed. You deserve the punishment. But I am going to nullify the punishment. 
I am not going to give you what you deserve. That's but God. And the amount of mercy that God has is limited. It is rich in mercy. Now, I don't know about you, but when you find somebody who's truly rich, they don't have to worry about spending a dollar, and they don't have to worry about stroking a check for 50000 because rich is rich, right? I'm not talking about like... like uh, you know, uh, small-time businessman rich, like a million or two in the bank. I'm talking like Gates rich, right? I'm talking like Soros rich. I know, we're not supposed to say those names here. But I'm talking about the kind of rich that you can't even count the number of zeros behind the numbers. That's the kind of rich. It's not money, though, although God's got all the cattle on a thousand hills. It's rich in mercy. Mercy. That God would give us mercy is is indescribably confusing because we don't deserve it. We come to him as a, as a poor, blind, decimated beggar. And God says, I am full of mercy. Yes, but Lord, I don't, I don't have anything to offer you. I know. I'm not giving you mercy because you've earned it. And I'm not giving you mercy because you've deserved it. I'm giving you mercy. Why? Because the next part of the verse says this. Because of his great love. Do you see that there in verse 4? Who is rich in mercy. Where is it? Um, because of his great love that he had for us. Because of his great love. Can you fathom the love that God has for you? And I'm not talking about God so loved the world. Yes, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I'm talking about removing the word world and putting your face there. I'm talking about standing in front of the mirror, looking at yourself, recognizing who you really are, even in the dark, and knowing that God's love is, as we'll find out next, immeasurable, unlimited, bottomless. Have you ever been to a restaurant that had bottomless fries? I'm not really comparing God's love to fries, but I guess I really am. That's where my mind goes. Okay, imagine, imagine having an inn with the donut shop. And imagine walking in anytime, day or night, saying, can I have a donut? Why, yes, you can. They're unlimited. There's no boundaries to it. Do you know that the love that God has for you is truly unlimited? And he doesn't love you, again, because you are worthy of his love. He loves you and he loves me because that's who God is. And what that love means, though, is that it's a love that is not just a word or a, a spoken love. It's a, it's, it's a kind of love that encapsulates the best that we could possibly imagine that love is. In other words, he loves you even though he knows you. But God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were, what? Still sinners. Now, I just kind of want you to, to, to really hone in on this, okay? The world is maybe seven billion people. Somewhere around there, right? People are born every day. People die every day. Somewhere around 7, million, 7 billion people. That's a lot of zeros. The world, just our planet, it covers millions and millions and probably billions of square miles. And there are places in this world that are uninhabitable to humans. 
And if you get up in an airplane and you fly for just a couple hours, you will realize that this, this earth is massive. And, and imagine, though, that every animal on this planet God knows of and knows when that animal is born and when that animal dies. He sees every chase of a lizard and a bug. He sees every grub that a chicken scratches out of the ground. He sees every kangaroo that a lion chases down. He sees every L-Y, that's a bait fish, that a redfish swallows whole. He sees all of that, and yet, the thing that he cares about most, according to the Scripture, is you. He knows how many hairs are on your big toe. <laughs> Didn't see that one coming, did you? Now you're going, hmm, how many hairs are on my big toe? You're trying to care. Do you, you don't even know how many are on there, do you? Every one of us probably has a hair on a big toe. Maybe more than one. And yet God knows the number and the size and even the curly factor. He knows. He knows how many freckles are on your face. He knows how many moles are on your back. There is nothing God does not know about you. But those are just external. God knows the things that you're most afraid of. He knows your doubts. He knows your questions. He knows the areas of your life that are prideful. He knows the areas of your life that you wrestle with. He knows the words that you want to say but you don't say because you know that if you say them, it'll get you in a lot of trouble. And yet God has heard those words before you even think of them. Now, if you step back and see just how, how singular God can get when it comes to you, and you realize that in the grand scheme of the, the whole universe, out of the seven billion people that are here now, and yet the countless millions and billions that have been before us and ever will come after us, we know that we're so insignificant, and yet God, because He loved us, you. Because he is rich in mercy, he has made you alive through Christ Jesus. So what I want you to grasp here is that the good inside of you is a work of God. It's not a work of your own strength. It's not because you did something. It's because God came inside of you. And it, it, it's kind of, I guess, you know, human words are hard to use to describe spiritual, eternal things. But think about it. God has done something inside of you, in your heart of hearts, and he's, he's changed you and conformed you through Jesus Christ so that naturally inside of you now is not the things of death, but it's the things of life. So if your actions are actions that are actions of goodness and kindness and grace, in other words, if the things that you do reflect the character and nature of God, it's because God is at work inside of you, and it's because that is the very reason you were created and placed on this earth. The very last verse says this, 
For we are his creation, created, built in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. You were made for good works. Now, the struggle is this. The struggle is that we sometimes try to fabricate good works. But you can't fabricate good works. I mean, you might be able to do some good things, but you can't fabricate something that is spiritual. The way to do good works is to yield to the Spirit of God in your life. So when you become a believer, when you decide to follow Jesus, when he calls you by name and you say, okay, Lord, I I, I choose no longer to, 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 to live in my sin. I choose to repent and follow you. God places his spirit inside of you, and he begins the process of sanctifying you, which is, which is making you holy, which is turning you from, from a person who's selfish and sinful into a person who's generous and kind and giving. That's what Jesus is like, right? And it's the spirit of God that's doing that. And so the natural outflow of a true relationship with Jesus is good works, because that's why you were made. Here's why this is important. Because the good works that you and I do, we don't have to try. Whew, it's a load off, right? I mean, think about it. You don't have to wake up during the day and say, you know what, I've, I've got to do some good works today. That, that, that's, that's, the wrong, that's the wrong approach. You have to wake up each day and say, you know what, Lord, here's my heart. I belong to you. And so these hands, these are your hands. These eyes, these are your eyes. I'm singing a song in my heart. These eyes, these eyes. That's probably not the right song to sing here, I'm thinking, but it just, I just had to say it because it was going to ring in my head. Golly, I'm terrible, aren't I? Did anybody else think of that song? Am I the only freak in this place? <laughs> what? <laughs> Did I say that? Welcome to my world, people. Welcome to my world. Polar bears chasing. Wow. Boy, I need to be more careful with my illustrations, apparently. You got the picture, right? That's one determined lion. What the heck was I saying? Yes, you wake up in the morning. I should have taken my pill this morning. What can I say? You wake up in the morning and you say, Lord, I'm yours. Like, like, like you don't have to stress over it. You don't, have to, you don't have to figure it out and plan it out. You just have to literally walk in the Spirit. The Bible tells us that we are to walk in the Spirit. And if we walk in the Spirit or live by the Spirit, God's Spirit will do what is natural to His Spirit. And then it's, a, it's just a, a daily walk of obedience. And the cool thing about this is the fact that God's Spirit will lead you into some incredibly ordinary things that are extraordinary in somebody's life. I heard this story this weekend that was so beautiful. It was of a woman who was dealing with cancer, and she, um, she had gone through the rigmarole of cancer one time, and then, it, then I think it had come back, and she just battling it. And, you know, the, the emotional toll and the strain, some of you have dealt with this, and you understand way more than I, I could understand on this, but just there, there's so much that, that, that you have to deal with and think about, and so much that's, that's, you know, you have to find motivation to do normal things, and yet you, you're wondering, hey, is my 10-year-old going to have a, a dad or a mom? I mean, it's just all of these things. She had a woman who was 
just kind of an acquaintance, not like a super close friend, but an acquaintance call one day and say, hey, I'm bringing you dinner on Thursday. And everything in her wanted to say, no, I'm tired of chicken and rice. I'm just, I'm done, right? You know, she's like, we've had chicken and rice three times a week, and I just I can't do it anymore, right? But she said, you know, okay, fine. And this woman brought some food and actually came in the house and sat down and started to talk to her. And she's like, you know what, I'm just not really into this, but okay, I'll be kind to you. And it's not that she was being mean. It's just when you get to that point, you're, you're just kind of over a lot of stuff, right? But this woman spoke kindness and, and was just gracious. She didn't pry, but she said, I, I just want you to know I'm going to bring dinner every Thursday night at this time. And you may not want it, but your kids need to eat, so I'm just going to do it. So every Thursday night, she'd bring food. And then it got to where the kids needed somebody to pick them up from school or take them somewhere, and, and the, 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 the treatments just left her where she couldn't do it. And this woman said, I'll do that. And this woman became the, the, the hands and the feet of the mom who was struggling with this cancer. And what she realized is that this one woman literally was a godsend. She was a rescue. Now watch how this story goes there. This woman is talking, telling her story to a group of folks that, that were there this past week. And every one of us who heard this story is now telling this story of a woman who all she did was bring some food a couple of weeks in a row on a Thursday night. You want to talk about legacy. Why? Because when you hear that, what does it make you want to do? It makes you want to find somebody you can make dinner for on Thursday night, right? It tells you, it says, man, I want to do something like that. You don't have to try to do something good. You just have to listen and obey what God leads you to do. Sometimes it's ordinary. Sometimes it's so simple, even a caveman can do it, right? I mean, some, sometimes it's like, that's, that's easy, and God says, if you could hear him, it is easy, but it's exactly what's needed in their life right now. So, your words are powerful. Your words leave leg a legacy. But your actions strengthen and prove your words. If you will, flip over to Philippians, uh, excuse me, not Philippians, uh, James, chapter 2. James, chapter 2. Verse 14 says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can his faith save him? What good is it if you... Say you have faith, and yet you have no evidence of your faith. Do you really have saving faith? The Bible says no. Because as you go through this passage, it tells us, verse 18, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Well, show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. That's kind of tongue-in-cheek. That's kind of sarcastic there. It's James writing this saying, look, if you claim to have faith and yet you don't have good works, you don't have faith. 
You might have a kind of faith, but you don't. You might have a head knowledge faith, but you don't have saving faith. Here's why: you cannot escape good works when Jesus is living in you. It is impossible to escape God working through you if He's living in you. Now, the the kind of the caveat or the middle ground is this. How many good works or how much good works, how much fruit is coming out of your life, that's determined by how yielded you are to God's Spirit. And so I, I, don't, you know, I, don't, I don't know how to measure that. Sometimes we're like, you know what, how many good works do I need to have real saving faith? If you're asking that question, you're, you're asking the wrong question. The question shouldn't be, how many good works do I need? The question should be, Lord, have I been obedient enough? Not, not obedient that my obedience saves me, but the obedience is because God has shown immeasurable love and immeasurable mercy and immeasurable grace. And so that work that you do is a natural outflow of the faith that you say you have. And I want to bring this passage into, into our attention because if you look at verse 20, Foolish man, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works faith was perfected. So the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Here's here's the problem. We will sometimes look at this passage and we'll say, wait a minute, I'm confused. Because that just said that we're justified by works. And Ephesians 2 says we're justified by grace through faith, not of works. So which one is right? Here, here's the problem. It's not really a dilemma. The two are actually overlapping. See, Ephesians is coming at this from a perspective of they were trying to do works in order to, to be saved. They were, they were trying to do things, and through their actions, that would hopefully earn them favor with God, and they would be, be saved. They'd be made right with God. For James, there was an easy believism. I don't have to do nothing. I believe in God. It was all talk and no action. And so both of them were saying the same thing, that faith without works is dead. And Because he said it beforehand. He said, you, show, you say you have faith. Well, I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, my works are evidence that I have faith. Works never save you. But if you have no good works in your life, if there is no fruit that is coming out of your, your spoken relationship with Jesus, you need to go back and examine, do you really have a relationship? Because the Bible says that a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. How do you know if you're bearing fruit? The easiest way is this. It's the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not talking about fruit of what you do. I'm talking about fruit of what's coming out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit of God is inside of you, those things should be growing and evidenced in your life. If they are not, you need to go back and examine, do you really know Jesus.
Because you cannot know Jesus and have no fruit. Because a good tree, a good tree bears good fruit. I don't know what the threshold is, though. I think that sometimes even the little, think, you know, the little seedling that's come up in a little green sprig, that's still evidence, right? It ain't much evidence, but it's still evidence. But the fact is, as you yield to God, He grows that little seedling, that little sprig of life into something that overflows just like it overflows from the heart of God. Remember He said that His, uh, his love... Was, uh, was immeasurable. That's the kind of love that God requires of you for your neighbor. Immeasurable. Immeasurable kindness. Immeasurable grace. Immeasurable goodness. Immeasurable gentleness. All of these things are the, are the evidence that God is at work inside of you. Now, let me close with this, okay? So I believe that that when it comes to good works, it should, it, 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 the Bible says it's just a natural outflow. But there are some times when God leads us to do a good work that it is one of those, I call them a one-off, right? It, it, it's not like a repetitive thing. It's like a, this one particular time, this one particular place, I'm going to do something that this person needs that's going to change the trajectory of their life. I've seen it happen, and I've had it happen in my life. It's when somebody does something and that person is at the right place and time to receive what's done. And they're like, wow, that, that changes everything. I found out just last week. This is totally, totally crazy. Had no idea. I found out just this past week when I was 15, I sang a song at a church in Pensacola, West Pensacola Baptist Church. And the song was, was Ray Bolt's Watch the Lamb. Daddy, Daddy, what have we? You know that song? Okay, some of y'all know that song, right? That was a little weird too. I'm sorry. It was just, but that, but that, that's the, that's part of the song. Um, I was talking with this 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 friend of mine, and he said, "Did did you know that I didn't really like you? You were irritating." Like, well, okay, yeah, I kind of figured that. I was 15, you know. But you sang that song, and it and it gripped me. And shortly after that, I was saved. I was like. What? Huh? He said, yeah, I, I don't know why, but the, the words of that song just, they, they did something to me. And I was, I was, not, I was at church because my wife made me come. I wasn't a believer. I, just, I was doing it out of obligation. And shortly after that, God just did a work in my heart, and I, and I was saved. He now is an associate pastor of a church, been at the church 20 years, has influenced Countless thousands of lives. Here's the point, guys. All I did was sing a song. And, and it, don't, don't get me wrong. It wasn't my song that did it. It was that God had a work in his life, and that work was, was, was something that, that, that I just kind of passed through. And I had no idea that that would be the case, except that the kindness of God, he sometimes reminds us, hey, don't stop doing good, for the Bible says in good season, if you don't give up, you will what? Reap a harvest. So sometimes there are those one-off times, but most of the goodness that you're going to do is the consistency of goodness. It's a consistency that when people see it, it tunes them on 
to the goodness of God because they see in your life and they hear with your mouth that Jesus is truly God Almighty. The, uh, the measure of a man, the measure of a woman, I think, is in the content of his character. Kindness. A friend of mine told me this week that he heard Johnny Hunt say one time, we as followers of Jesus do not ever have the luxury of being unkind. Let that sink in. We never have the luxury of being unkind, ever. That means when the auto mechanic lies to us, that means when the lady with the five buggies cut in line at Walmart, even though we have two items. That means the guy that pulls up to the gas pump goes inside and has a chat while you're sitting there waiting to use the pump. That means when you're spoken to harshly and cruelly, that means when injustice is done. Guys, we never have the luxury of followers of Jesus to be unkind. Turn to the person next to you and say, that really stinks. Don't you agree? Wouldn't you like just like two give me's a, a, a year? I mean, don't you wish God would give you like two tokens? And like when you, when, when you had that moment, I just fantasize about this sometimes. Like, like he gives me two tokens and it's like I can use my token to, and, and when I lay that down, I can be as ugly and as mean as I possibly want to be. Just give me two a year, Right? But there's never, ever a time when we have the luxury of being unkind. Why? Because God's rich mercy. Because His immeasurable love. And because of the grace that he lavished upon us. If God can be kind to us. We. We can be kind to such lesser offenses. Amen. Now look. Don't beat yourself up. We're all going to mess this up at times. And you don't have to try to be kind. You just have to let God's spirit work inside of you. Here, here's the way that you. So. This woman who spoke this week, and, and Shannon and I had a chance to, to listen to her and talk with her. Here's what she told us. Here's the bottom line. She said, you know, I'm no longer so critical of people because I don't know what they're going through. God allowed her to endure unspeakable struggle. And it changed her heart. She said, you know what? I don't even want to be unkind to you because I don't know what kind of struggle you're dealing with right now. I'm going to give you what I would want to have if I were you. Can I just tell you that if we treated people like that consistently, we will be, we will be trophies of God's grace and it will draw others to the gospel. Amen? So this morning, I want to ask you a couple questions. Number one, are you dead or are you alive? Are you living in the condemnation of your own sin 
Or have you repented and turned to Jesus and know that you are now alive in Christ? There's only two choices. Jesus or lost. Now the world will tell you that many ways lead to Rome, but that's not what the Bible says. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. The Bible says that there is a wrath that is coming that we, we deserve, but God has made a way for us to receive mercy and grace. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So if you're here today and you've not ever trusted Jesus Christ, if you would honestly say, I'm lost, I need Jesus, would you trust him today? Today is the day of salvation. This morning, if you're wrestling with with your own flesh and you haven't yielded to the Spirit of God in your life, would you just commit today to, to do today and then tomorrow do the same thing and let God transform you into a person whose actions are God's actions so that they match your words? And above all, would you leave this place today not condemned? If you look back and you say, man, I have totally messed everything up, don't leave today condemned. Leave today forgiven and free. Leave today determined, maybe determined is not the right word, leave today knowing that it's the grace of God that you need, and so if you receive that, he'll give you the ability to give that as well. Close your eyes and bow your heads if you will. Kevin's coming, we're going to sing a song, and this song is an opportunity for you to just respond. These words are an opportunity for you to, to sing a prayer to God. I'm going to pray and then we're going to stand. And so if you need to trust Christ Jesus, I want to invite you to do that now. If you need to make some other decision, I want you to do that as well. Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness and thank you for your grace. Thank you for the immeasurable love that you have for us. Lord, words just aren't adequate. But Father, we've come here today. We've set aside this time because we want to hear from you. And so, Father, continue to speak and help us to obey the very next step you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with your feet? Stand to your feet.